Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer, voyage, recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only live stream at Crafting Icewind Dale, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. If you are playing characters by Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed, turn back now. There is no hope for you, but for the rest of you, you have some hope, and you're going to get some spoilers. Uh, we stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash RogueWatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net. For streaming, I use Open Broadcaster software with Streamlabs. Good morning, good afternoon. Nate, Michael, CT, good to see you all. Uh, Stan, we are still talking about Grim Scala. Still talking about what may actually end up being the finale of Grim Scala, even though the, the party only really experienced half of it, but I'm okay with that given how much they've been through, given their the resources they have left, the adventuring day they've had, which I think I mentioned on Monday has been um, quite possibly their most arduous adventuring day since probably Sunblight in terms of how long they've gone without a long rest and how many things they've had to go through. And uh, I think they're, the only really thing you can explore by going up to the top is having that interesting boss fight with a giant rock, which could also be pretty problematic if it grabs somebody and just flies off. It's, it's kind of a bullshit fight in a way. Uh, and I don't have a good way of incorporating that on top of everything else that I've got going on, which is the more important story stuff happening in the dungeon levels. The party is about halfway through the trials. I don't think I need to go over the other two because the ones that we did on uh, last week are were the two more complicated ones that I uh, changed more compared to the rest uh, versus the test of endurance which is basically just dropping uh, Frey into freezing water Titanic style and letting her roll con saves and I'm sure she will do fine at that and then uh, Edmund actually gets to get placed in pretty much the only one I'm running very close to as written with the test of cruelty where he will be forced or yeah, I guess forced <laughs> to uh, help slay these uh, elderly tribes people so the rest of the tribe can eat when they get teleported to a Reggae Nomad camp. So basically I'm keeping one of the Reggae Nomad uh, camp tests pretty much intact because I think one of them, it is worth just doing a purely role-playing one, even though there's not really a chance to like accrue exhaustion or take damage necessarily. I guess if you refuse... To do it at all, then I could run a combat encounter, but I, I feel like there's kind of diminishing returns to doing that with just sticking Edmund in the middle of a bunch of bad people, and 
And I, ultimately, the weird thing is you want to, uh, you know, you want you want the players to succeed, right? Because it just gets tedious if somebody fails and you have to go and repeat the same thing. So I, I like the idea of, of hopefully everybody succeeds, but with maybe some accrued consequences like, uh, you know, damage or exhaustion or madness or something along those lines. So I, I really want Edmund to succeed at being the test of cruelty. And there's a weird part in the test itself where it kind of contradicts itself in terms of, hey, if the party just walks away, then they still succeed. And then it says in the same breath, like, but if they don't do the thing, then they fail. Like, well, you can't have it both ways. So I'm leaning towards letting him basically succeed no matter what he does. And maybe he just gets a break in terms of not having to make any specific um, checks or anything. But hopefully, you know, we can still make it a, a memorable moment in the test. I, I do think we ended up doing probably the two more interesting uh, trials, but maybe uh, before and the less interesting ones here. I'm also not uh, too keen on spending too much time in these first two trials, especially because timing-wise, uh, we're not doing D&D next week. Next week is a Thanksgiving holiday, and nine times out of ten, we take uh, that week off from doing D&D um, stuff. My family's got the whole week off, so uh, it would be great timing for my D&D group if we could actually wrap up Grim Scala and end on a really strong... Um, kind of chapter and you know chapter break at the end of this coming session that would require we basically not do anything but the main story stuff which i think we're actually on track to do right if we do the trials then our the two villain characters will be like all right let's go crack into the vault you know open it up and grab the codicil so if the players demure on that um, then my villains will be very antsy. But the one, th I mean, if they decide, hey, we want to explore the rest of the thing, then I would try to, through them, say, hey, look, we don't, you know, every second we spend here is going to be dangerous. We need to get this show on the road. And on the one hand, I kind of want them to explore the north just because I think it's a fun opportunity to fight these interesting um, anchor-wielding uh, frost giant skeletons that we spent so much time in one of the sessions, like, creating tokens for and stuff. And, and I also was going to plop them in, a, in an upper area, and it's funny that we may... Actually, never get to see. Maybe I'll use them in the Caves of Hunger or something. Um, otherwise, we're not going to get to see them. And I made like a custom treasure up here that they can grab. So it would be, I don't think it would add too much time, but it would be another combat encounter. We know combat adds a lot of time. Uh, which, by the way, I can show you what I ended up doing with their stat blocks. I don't think we actually resolved this on the stream, but what I did. Also, Roll20 had an update. Now they include the bio and info tab second and the character sheet first. I'm, that's going to fuck me up so much just because I've been playing on Roll20 for like seven years or something <laughs> and that has never been the case before i don't know why they made this change and they still default to the bio and info tab i believe is fucking weird i just assume that's an update uh, so what i ended up doing is actually uh there's a stat block called like a chain ogre or something that i kind of used inspiration from and they have a chain sweep ability where uh they can just kind of whip it out and instead of an attack roll it's a deck save which i think is interesting Every creature, and I put every creature of its choice, so it can't whip its, you know, buddy. Uh, within 20 feet, must make a DC 13 dex save, and a failed save, each target takes 1d12 plus 6 bludgeoning damage, and is knocked prone. And I think it can either do that, or it can do its main attack, the anchor chain, and that one, it, it grapples and restrains them. And the idea here is, once they're um, restrained in the chains, then it can no longer use its chain, but instead it just auto-basically deals that damage 
um, every turn until that person gets out. Now, they still have an attack they can do. They can do their freezing stare. So hopefully I created enough action economy where they've got a lot of fun options they can create. I also went ahead and left them have multi-attack, even though the only reason multi-attack would work is if they miss on the first attack. Because like I said, if they actually hit with the first attack, um, they can't do anything with their second attack unless I add freezing stare into their multi-attack, which I think would be just a little bit too much. So that's the Frost Giant Skeletons with the Anchor Chains. Um, and we may not even use them here. Like I said, it's possible that the players want to just keep going on with the story, which is perfectly fine, because honestly, I think we've got plenty of content between the trials, between grabbing the Codicil, and then doing what I really need to prepare for, which is um, shit going down with Oral appearing and the villains trying to escape. It's going to be very, very tricky. Instead of a dorm, get the frozen corpse of one town there. They tricked me becoming a popsicle for Oral. <laughs> Oh man, that'd be funny if I could I excuse to use that character again. Actually just start summoning up um like pop popsicle versions of, of all the characters that they know. <laughs> also, I need to nail down the kind of stat blocks we have. I mentioned that clearly the best story thing, again, if I was writing the story and the players didn't have a choice in things, is that I would of course have these villains attempt to betray the players when they get to the codicil. Um and maybe they'll be maybe the players will be like, all right, you two stay here and we'll go get the codicil. Uh, which they would maybe be okay with that. Maybe they'll go as far as to the door. I want to try to play it as cool as I can, basically. <laughs> um, before they do something to the players. Well, I'm sure the players are basically I'm expecting the players to fuck up my plans. I really am. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to turn anything into a cutscene. So I'm trying to come up with ways that I have a plan, but I'm assuming the players are going to interrupt that plan with their own things. My plan is for the villains to try and betray them, try to grab the codicil for themselves and try to get out. And then that would, in theory, as soon as, soon as the codicil is removed from its original room, which is this room at G22, that alerts the Frost Maiden. It doesn't even, even if they've got the scrying magic going on, then that alerts the Frostmaiden. In fact, that can be incentive for uh, them saying, hey, you need us in there because there's an aura around me, so we need to keep you hidden if we're going near this place. And if the players decide to demure on that, then I can even, maybe the Frostmaiden comes in earlier or something. But maybe that'll give me a chance to get close. And I was thinking, you know, oh, I don't want to give her, like, time stop or something like that. But I could just use, like, a high-powered hold person, I think. Right? Because couldn't I just cast Hold Person at like a high level and attempt to paralyze everybody and give it a high DC? Like the answer is kind of looking at me right in the face. She's a humanoid you can see within range. They must succeed on a wisdom save or be paralyzed for the duration, which is up to a minute. That's plenty of time. Uh, and then they can make a wisdom save at the end of their turn. When you cast the spell with a spell slot of third or higher, you can target an additional humanoid for each slot level above second. Now the, the shitty thing is they've got a fucking polar bear. Uh, the Pegasus died, but the Polar Bear is still around, so I would technically not be able to... Although, I think he has to control the bear on his actions, doesn't he? <laughs> um, so it could be tricky, but that would I think that would be my plan, is to try to cast Hold Person. What level would she have to cast it at? I mean, it doesn't she's got whatever spell slots I need her to have, but if it's one person at second level, and there's five PCs, we don't have to paralyze Valen because she's unconscious. So we've got second... Third, fourth, fifth, sixth level. That's probably about as high as a slot as I would be comfortable giving her. Like a sixth level hold person could paralyze five people. 
Humanoids must be within 30 feet of each other, which I'm hoping they would all group up to go in there, and then it'd be a minute. And the interesting thing is, what happens if she only paralyzes some of them, you know, and others make the save? And then we could even start a combat round where she's, where the goal is to, like, just for her to try to grab uh, the codicil. Dominate. Yeah, I don't, can you do multiples with dominate? I really need an AoE paralyze is what I'm looking for. And I'm trying not to give her cheaty DM powers as much as I can. But I am willing to give her high level powers. Yeah, it's just one person. Uh, and it just ups the duration. That would be fun though if she like dominated uh, like Frey or somebody. And uh, Frey like puts an axe to somebody's throat <laughs> she's like all right give me the codicil that's the and that would be what i'd really like to do too is, is create that kind of tense situation because i really don't think the players want to fight them i think that would go very badly for the players i say that with bravado of course i'm sure they will surprise with how powerful they are i mean Frey still has a rage left she's got 100 hit points like she's no fucking joke um but i gave valish gaunt the stats of an evoker wizard which is hilariously powerful he can he averages like twenty just he didn't even cast spells, he uses basic attacks. Like it's it's like a broken stat block. With uh with Naz, it's a little trickier. She's basically a spellcaster who has whatever stats and 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 stuff I want to give her. Um she could have original body, could still only, you know, be pretty weak. But I could give her like the frost druid stats defensively. The idea being if the body is reduced to zero hit points or she's forced out of the body, then she becomes her full um, ghostly form, and I was looking at the, uh, what is this, the Deathlock Mastermind as inspiration, there's also a Dread Wraith, which is a good inspiration, so in a way I actually turned Nas, Nas Lantimere into a two-stage boss fight, but I don't want to, uh, I don't necessarily want the players to just fight this as a stand-up fight either, because their goal is not to sit here and fight and kill the players, their goal is to just escape. So basically, they would they, they would like to escape with the codicil, ideally. But they know they need to get out. They don't know, but they, they have a feeling, basically, when they when the codicil has been removed, and I can really flavor it, like, okay, temperature's dropping, you guys have, like, seconds, you know, le probably less than a minute before Frostmaiden shows up. I could still do marginal plan of just having Frostmaiden forces spawn first, ahead of the Frostmaiden, um, and maybe just to, like, soften everybody up or something. But their goal is not to do a stand-up fight. Their goal is to eventually escape, which I, I can use bullshit powers for that. That would be like a, some, for whatever reason, her orb gives her like maybe some good teleportation powers or something. Maybe she's still um, limited. I'm, I'm thinking Dimension Door, but Dimension Door is only 500 feet, which, you know, that, that would get you out of here for sure and get you across the island. Um, with a couple casts, but it wouldn't let, let you leave the island, so I'm not sure how, what kind of bullshit powers I need to enable for them to actually properly leave the island. Um, maybe it's a case if they go to a ship, raise a bunch of dead, and use that way to do it. Mass suggestion is what's being suggested. We've suggested mass suggestion. Let's see what we get. Let's see, you magically influence up to 12 creatures. Well, that's handy. Creatures that can't be charmed or immune to the effect. Ooh, I wonder if Valravin can be charmed because he's a freaking elf. Isn't that going to be a problem? 
stupid elves have such bullshit weird immunities. A not sleeping one is also bullshit, I think. Ancestry, right? Uh, no, he's advantage on saving throws against being charmed. Okay. Um, suggestion must be worded in such a manner as to make a course of action sound reasonable, which would be fun. Each creation must make a wisdom saving throw on a failed save. It pursues a course of action described to the best of its ability for the entire duration. Which one is the duration? 24 hours. <laughs> Boy, that is an interesting one. That is 6th level, too. 12 creatures that you can see within range. I can hear and understand you. Ooh. Fast suggestion. Okay, okay. Can't do anything harmful. It's like uh, the genie rules from Aladdin. Can't ask me to kill anybody. Use a course of action to the best of its ability. Since course of action can continue for the entire duration, can be completed in a short time. The spell ends. The spell ends when the activity is completed. You know what I could do? Is suggest they go to the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Just walk up to the roof and trigger that boss fight. <laughs> oh man. It is a And and the other thing is what DC do I want to give her? Any if you or any of your companions damage a creature affected by the spell, the spell ends for the duration. Is there a way to end but you don't get a you don't get to repeat the save. So if if you fail this you have to just do it to the best of your ability. It only ends if you complete the task in a shorter amount of time. You can also specify conditions that will trigger a special activity during the duration. The conditions meant for the spell ends. It means before an opinion of your companion's damage creature affected by the spell. The spell ends for that creature. Boy, this could be really fascinating. Why wouldn't they just kill the party? Well. Because. <laughs> because picture your typical action-adventure movie and the villains are with the heroes and the villains you know of course they try and do something to get away and a lot of times they don't actually try to kill the heroes they might leave them in a perilous situation where they assume they will die it's classic bond villain shit right that's the reason bond can get out is because um and and why uh what's his face is like, no, it's his in Austin Powers or the sun's just like, let's just shoot him in the head right now, let's do this. And he's like, that's not how we do things. <laughs> it, because I think it's better for the story, basically, is the is the answer. It's it serves it better for the story. And I, I don't think they're necessarily neither of them I guess they have murdered a little bit. <laughs> Valish Gaunt is not necessarily a murderer. Um he's a bad person, he's super selfish, but he's more of a I guess white collar criminal. He's, he's kind of embezzled funds. He, he took over, you know, towns. But in terms of like bloody murder, like I don't think he would necessarily get his hands dirty for that. And the same is true of Nass until she kind of transformed into this ghostly creature who can possess people. And then as part of some of her abilities, 
that maybe she's not even fully aware of. Um, for example, she she did kill all those gnomes uh, at the dig site, basically. Like, they all, you know, their souls ripped out and they attacked as, you know, wraiths or whatever. So, yeah, that was definitely on her. So she's she's definitely gone down the dark side. I don't know what you want me to do with this car. Everybody, this is her car she wants you to look at. I don't what do you mean? You want me to put it down here? Okay, I'll put it up here. So, yeah, the, the idea here is that they are pretty confident. A, I think they're confident that um, Frost Maiden will come and basically kill them all. So why risk it? Like, they know they're, like, yes, they're powerful, but they're also outnumbered. They know the adventures are very strong. Um, they're not suicidal or stupid. So I think them, even seeing the players being very weak, they're like, we're not going to risk us being, you know, killed by fighting. So I, I honestly, logically, like, yeah, you can make jokes about plot armor. But honestly, I think it, it would not be in their best interest to fight the players, just like I think the players the same way would not necessarily be... Oh, can we not play your piano right now? <laughs> Just like I'm pretty sure it's not in the best interest for the players to necessarily fight them, just based on how weak they are. I guess they wouldn't know how strong these villains are either. So instead, their best interest is to try to escape with the Codicil. They, they, what they do fear is the Frost Maiden's Wrath. They're very aware of that. So they know they have very limited time to escape once the Codicil is removed. If I have to, they may escape without the Codicil. Which would change the story somewhat, but we can still get back on rails. I would I would try to get them to steal it, just because I think that would be more interesting motivation and, and a more interesting story development. Um, and then the players will be forced to deal with the Frost Maiden. Basically, either way, if push comes to shove and the players just do a great job of, um, you know, whatever they do, they throw the Shardland balls around and. I mean, I can still give them both Misty Step. That's not a big deal. But, and yeah, the action economy is definitely against me. Like, I, I do think they would be able to do some serious damage to these villains, which is why I, I, I do want them to try to escape. But I have plans where even if they both get just murdered here by the party, that could still put the story back on rails because the Frost Maiden's still going to show up. She's still going to be pissed. And then that gives the players an incentive to say, like, hey, look, we killed the ones who started this whole thing. Like, you can end the rhyme. Like, please, you know, don't kill us. We served up the villains on a silver platter for you. And then the Frost Maiden, all of her, you know, neutral evil glory will, will, will be like, well, there's still a problem. And that is that what they did, what Nas Lantimere specifically did to identify and pull up uh, Aetherin has, has caused some kind of horrible disturbance there and then I need to send you down there to deal with it so that's basically how we get all right give me one second I've got baby aggro now you can argue Eric who are you trying to convince us or you <laughs> but that is my plan right now and and the the stressful thing is uh it could happen any number of ways however the nice part is I don't need to give my villains plot armor which is usually the problem I think a dm comes across is like and, and that's why you I'm so hesitant you know in the past to throw you know the big villains at the party you know to where they even have a chance to interact with them physically or attack or attack with them so in this case I am risking it because I because I can live without these villains 
I think that's the that might be the ultimate advice I can give um, DMs who are wanting to use, you know, their big villains um, in a in an important moment, and that might not that's not the end of the campaign, basically. And my advice to that is, well, do you have a way to finish the story in case the worst, I say the worst outcome, maybe the best outcome for the players, which is they actually defeat the villains completely and you're left without them. And in this case, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll be okay. We even have Avarice out there with her forces, like I mentioned before, that can be our, our third party, uh, you know, flying the ointment. In addition to uh, having Frost, having the Frost Maiden, you know, be a quest giver and then you know, eventually turn on the players. So I think we'll be okay story-wise, but the, the crazy thing is, as a DM writing the story, I just do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> More so probably than any session I've prepared for in this entire campaign. I do not know what's going to happen. I, I guess Sunblight would be the closest thing. Um, I wasn't prepared for like one player to kind of take over the deception part of Sunblight and, and really run things from there and do a really great job of it. But then once he started doing that, then I could kind of prep each session after that. In this case, we're, we're getting to a session where I still don't know like what's going to happen at the result of this one. But what I am hoping does happen is that we can finish Grimscala in tomorrow's session because of the timing. Because it's Thanksgiving break next week, we don't have... Uh, it, it would be better to not leave on a big like okay now oh and the frost maiden shows up and then we're gonna you know pull back i i think maybe maybe it'd be fun to have a crazy big moment like that i don't know but i don't want to definitely force the issue if we if we've really taken a long time like we explored the thing up there and you know we're getting to be you know the two hour mark is crossed and the frost maiden hasn't shown up yet it, it might get kind of maybe i'll need to make that call but that's the other hard thing about um you know a live game and having generally shorter than average sessions compared to a lot of folks who do D&D uh, is the pacing is very, very tricky to, to get right. And I, I do my best. I don't always nail it. Sometimes we go too long and you can tell the energy drops. Um, and sometimes I have to, I, I call it and everybody's generally pretty happy if, if I call it at a good moment. But there are times where I want to push it because I want to try to you know squeeze that stuff in. But that can be very, very tricky. Sounds like the idea is formed to have the baddies escape and the party start working for Aural and use the giant owl to transport them to the ice cliff. Yes. That is my plan. That is my plan. My plan is no matter what. So no matter what, the codicil has to be removed from this room, right? That's their goal is to take the codicil. And they're thinking that, um, you know, with this, we can have the power to just end the rhyme ourselves uh, and then the, and the villains want to hopefully get into that city. The players maybe don't even have any motivation to get down to the city. So hopefully by having the RP with Aural, they'll actually realize why that's important. Which is another big issue with this stupid campaign. <laughs> is that you can basically complete the main story in this chapter. You know, as written, you can just defeat Aural. Which she's, you know, for a god, she's like a CR. Uh, I think it's like nine or so but you do have to fight three forms but still and then you end the everlasting rhyme that's like well great we're done and like oh well i guess if you want to use this book to go plunder that ancient city you can but like the main story's done <laughs> like that's what that's terrible so that's why i've had to make all of these um you know jumping through all these hoops to try and fix the story and intertwine things better and in this case um i think the codicil will not let you 
end the right. The other, the other thing that could happen that I am probably the least prepared for is if the players escape with the villains. And I'm going to try to have it be that the villain betrayal will piss off the players so much. And obviously, it should be part of the spell that Ness casts. I think that she would choose who she can teleport with her. I'm not even sure if Dimension Door lets you teleport as a group. I may just be bullshitting myself in terms of how, how they're going to teleport versus teleporting as an aura because it may be the players get so freaked out by the Frostmaiden shows up. They're like, yeah, let's go with you guys. Like maybe, maybe my villains are unable to get the codicil from the players, but the players are like, look, we're going to keep the codicil the whole time as insurance and you need to, and you get us out of here. You know, so in other words, instead of the players getting so pissed off and wanting to fight um, the villains and turn them into the Frost Maiden, maybe the players are instead like, okay, we'll still play along, we'll still go with you, but we have control of the, of the Codicil now, and now we're in it together, and now that we're just going to be chased by the Frost Maiden. That would, that would be really interesting. The bummer is then we lose the entire Frost Maiden angle of it. Like, we never actually interact with her, we just continue fleeing and working for um, the villains the whole time, but that, but I'm, I'm almost willing to let that happen, because that could be an interesting story development that the players have a good say in. That's probably the least interesting one, though, but the point is, I, I have to actually figure out, like, what are the rules on her uh, teleporting. Is Dimension Door the only teleport spell? Is there a, is there a higher level one that she could do? Does say you can bring one willing creature of your size or smaller carrying gear carrying up to cast capacity. There's no upcasting for Dimension Door. It is only 500 feet. But the idea is maybe she has a bunch of uses of it, basically. Like, somehow the orb that she's got gives her additional abilities. Oh, what is the codicil? The Codicil is a disappointingly bare magic item, which I will need to make magic of. Create a stat block for. I think it's actually under special equipment. Nope. Really confusing in Roll20. They have a magic items list, but then they also have another location. Look at this monster list. is getting real big now. It's under... Yeah, so under Appendix D Magic, and there's another section called Magic Items. Oh, my bad. It's not in here, though. Maybe it's under books. There it is. Okay, it's under books. Great. <laughs> so, it's... Yeah, the idea is it is basically supposed to be her Bible, basically, for um, you know, her holiest, her holiest scripture um, about worshipping the Frost Maiden. Um, it has no magic abilities. It just says that if you have it in your possession, you have resistance to cold damage, which is good. It doesn't require attunement to have that. And then it says, attuning it may confer additional properties. And then it just leaves up to the DM, basically, on how you want to handle that. I will, I, I would definitely want to create some additional things. But attuning to it would also, you would have to, like, accept Aural as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> um, you, you would have, you become basically a, a worshiper. You would get the snowflake symbol and, 
you know, everybody would recognize you as such. Um, and you would get some abilities for that, but you would essentially be, you know, her high eyes and ears too. She could, you know, communicate with you and all that good stuff if you if you actually had if you actually attuned to it. Um, the main power it has is it has a poem you can recite, which is supposed to be the literal rhyme. Forgot where it's actually listed. There it is. Um, it's fine. Uh, but you say this, I believe, in front of a certain spot of the glacier, and the glacier opens up and unlocks a uh, un unlocks the way to the final two chapters, basically the Caves of Hunger and then uh, Ethrin. So I would probably give it some additional uh, abilities for sure. I, but I do like the fact that you you can just take it and you'll get the resistance to cold damage just by having it on you. But if you attune to it, then that's a huge big thing where suddenly you gain, you know, maybe it's uh, I, I almost think of using it like uh, mechanically like an instrument of the bards because or or, may, or I guess a staff would be the other thing. But they give you like uh, limited use of spells. Oh, I guess these are actually called different things. Okay. I thought I could look it up by typing an instrument. Um but essentially gives you a bunch of limited use spells, like, because it, you know, kind of a spell book. I also kind of want to make it, like, um, the reason it's her holy book is because it, maybe it has, like, her journal in it or something from when she was a wizard, a Netherese wizard. But it's got to be written in, like, Loras. Um, so maybe, because I still want it to be kind of, like, secretive information that, like, most people, like, maybe only her most ardent supporters I, I think even the frostmaid want to keep that hidden though the fact that she used to be mortal basically um ascended to godhood and is directly responsible for the crash of etherin that was all like cool twists i want to uh add in there but i think having it written in loros would mean that maybe the information is there but nobody can uh translate it until they get to etherin and then they discover like the truth about why you know, why she does want to keep this place hidden. Because that was something Baelish Gaunt brought up, that he's right. Like, why does she care so much um, to, like, blanket this whole world in darkness and put everybody in just environmental collapse and catastrophe? Arcane gate, plane shift, teleportation circle. Okay, I need to start looking these up. Dimension door is easy. It takes an action. It's instant. You can teleport two people. So that would be no excuse for taking the players along. Let's see what the other options are. Teleports you and up to eight willing creatures of your choice. You can see within range. The destination you select. Uh, why does it say range of 10 feet? The destination you... Oh, this is actually really helpful. The destination you choose must be known to you and it must be on the same plane of existence as you. Familiarity with the destination determines whether you arrive there successfully. Well... I need to fix a plot hole then. If she has access to the spell, why didn't she just use this to go directly to Grim Scala? Why? Well, she it wasn't known to her. That's why. Be known to you must be on the same plane of existence as you. You're familiar with the destination determines whether you arrive there successfully. Okay. So maybe it really only works if you've kind of been there. 
That's interesting, though. That God, this spell. All right, can we not make spells that are just like a whole fucking book? I guess this is one where you need to... It's like a monkey's paw situation where you need to be very careful. <laughs> Familiarity. A very familiar place you've seen very often, seen casually. And what is this? Oh, a mishap table? Okay. Description is a place whose location appearance you know through someone else's description, perhaps from a map. Oh, so you actually can use it. You know the place yet, yeah. Okay. That would fix the dimension door, like hopping around at 500 feet intervals, escape. So this would be better at escaping. The other thing I was thinking is that maybe by possessing the codicil, that actually ups her magic ability, but that's also kind of bullshit DM stuff. Because it's not like she's attuning to it or anything. If the players grab it, they're like, why don't I get these powers? <laughs> but if she just has this ability, then yeah, she can just use that to escape. But then she does have the option... Um, if the players want to, if I can't get the codicil away from them, and the players are like, look, we'll align with you, teleport us the fuck out of here, then you could do that. The plane shift just lets her, like, it doesn't let you move physically, right? I mean, I guess you fit you... To me, I guess I need to look it up. Plane shift to me was like going to the upside down of, of Stranger Things. Where it's like you're not moving physical distances, but you're moving into a different dimension. Is that not right? Find creatures, link hands in a circle. You have to link hands in a circle. Transport a different plane of existence. Go to the Nine Hills. Get in or near that destination if you're trying to reach. If you know the signal sequence of teleportation, circle another plane of existence, but I'll get to get to that circle. Fortunately, there wouldn't be a teleportation circle anywhere near the glacier. Uh, use it to banish an unwilling creature. They're also a banish spell. These are also all 7th level spells, which is a little higher than I was planning on giving her, but if it fits the plot... Any plane of existence. But you have to, so you have to teleport to a different plane of existence, but you can go anywhere. So I guess... Yeah, like you were saying, you can, uh, Nate, so she plane shifts to some random-ass place, doesn't matter. I guess, hopefully you're not teleporting in the middle of the dangerous place. And then you can just simply shift back to the material realm, again, anywhere you want. It says you specify a target destination in general terms. Okay. That could work, I guess. So you have to cast it twice. Jeez. At what point can you cast two 7th level spells? I want to, like, illegally make her a sort of wizard. That is getting up there. Can you ever cast two 7th level spells? Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, wait, I'm looking at 4th. 7th <laughs> level. Yeah, that makes her 20th level in order to cast two 7th level spells without a long rest. So that is kind of getting to be a little bullshitty. In terms of, like, realistically what access she has. I was going to cap her at 6th level spells. But like I said, if if that puts her at 12th level, but if I want to up her, I could give her access to 7th, but having two 7th is kind of crazy. 
8th level, she's 15. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, Jason, if the, the Codicil could grant more abilities. But, again, you'd have to give... I need whatever I'm willing to give the Codicil, I'm willing to give to the players also. And they wouldn't get anything until you attune to it, and um, in, in terms of power from it. And they wouldn't have time to attune to it right now. I mean, yeah, she could... Well, the problem is, yeah, if she, if she plane shifts there and back, that's two 7th level spell slots. That just seems to be too much. Maybe I'm hand-wringing too much and it doesn't really matter. And the players don't know. I could just flavor it as, like, you zip through time and space, see one destination, and then she casts another spell and zips through time and space again, and you're right where your destination would be. I do like... The point is, they're going to go from here to basically... Um, somewhere outside of the glacier, really, I've because I have no... Uh, inkling to give them any kind of random encounters or anything from here. Go to... Sale. I guess you can have a scroll. I don't know where they'd get... I don't know where they'd get it, though. She was a ghost who was inhabiting Valin, so unless you think Valin had that scroll, which maybe she did, and then he was in prison. <laughs> Not like they had all their shit. They... Either they would basically teleport here, which is a there's like a frozen waterfall that acts as like a weak point basically that you can enter caves of hunger. But I do want them. I so either the players will leave via teleporting with the villains, which could be interesting. I, I don't think that's to me that's not as interesting as facing off with Aural and um, getting to speak with her. But the players don't know that. They might just think it's a they might they might just think that it's me creating a um uh a fight they can't win, basically. That they like have to like this is like this isn't even a fight coming, this is like a cinematic moment that we have to leave. Teleport using it as an escape, yeah. But so it doesn't require attunement, yeah. That makes it very, very powerful. I do like the idea of, like, it has some properties, but, like, if you attune to it, then you, like, really accept oral, and that could, that just could be, could be some really interesting implications later on for, um, if the players, because uh, I do plan on having oral return. Alright, so, let's talk about the, what's actually going to happen. Um, which I don't know, which is why everything I've been talking about is just theory crafting. That's the best I can do right now. Um, they will finish the trials. The players and my villains will attempt to enter the vault, which they can once they finish the trials. There's a little tablet on here with some information, and then they can enter the room and get the codicil. I guess I'll keep the back room here, although... Again, once they take... I guess if they take the codicil, but somebody explores the back room without leaving the room, then they can still do this part, which is that crazy... Um, thing they can instant kill people. Where is that one? I'll probably just have it be the room and not have the Frost Maiden be involved either. Oral's Blessing. Will you court death to receive my blessing? As like a final pilgrimage, basically. Like anybody, any Oralite who comes here um, can attempt this test, this final test, basically, to... 
to get this super powered ability. I don't know if I want to keep this the same or not. I mean, it is pretty good. If you survive on a DC 21 con save, you gain immunity to cold damage and cast Cone of Cold uh, once per day, which is pretty cool. But if you fail, you instantly become an ice statue and you are just petrified. Uh, which... I guess you're not dead, but you're not alive. <laughs> it very much complicates things uh, if you fail in that. So that would that would be pretty interesting how the players deal with that. Um, would Aural restore? I, I don't know. It really depends on how things happen from there. That, that could color things. Maybe they're like, all right, we need Aural to show up so we can try to fix this. Uh, but I would let them interact with that, provided they haven't removed. Removing the Codicil from this initial room is what's going to trigger the Frost Maiden showing up. So while they're in here, or maybe even as soon as they leave, I will have um, Ness. I think I will cast Mass Suggestion. I think that's a good idea. I think that's more exciting than paralyzing people. Um, what is a proper DC? Probably like 15. Just throwing it out there, I think, for um, for her DCs at whatever level I want her to be. I think I was thinking about a 15. Oh, that's a, I don't want to do the Frost Druid. She's this stat block, I think. The go That's the other confusing thing, is she's inhabiting this, but this is not her stat block. She's not just a Frost Druid. Uh, actually, I think I was using Valin as her stat block, too, which is no longer in Valin. Yeah, DC 15 plus 7 hit was, it was spells. Um, so we could cast Mass Suggestion. Let's put that on our stat block. And then who? And then I need to actually come up with what she's gonna say. It has to be like what two sentences or something. Course of activity limited to a sentence or two, which is doing a lot of work there. Robin is seventeen, so it's fair. Everybody's saying DC seventeen. That's yeah, that's pretty damn high. Uh, I could yeah, I could. What would her, I mean, ignore her challenge rating, because that's obviously gone up. If she's got an 18 intelligence, which is probably what she's using, even though weirdly would probably become charisma once she becomes a ghost, but we'll still use intelligence. Um, if we want to make her like a CR 12 or something, does that give her a plus four proficiency bonus? Eight and eight, maybe, maybe a DC 16, I'm trying to think, something like that. She doesn't have a 20, I guess. So maybe it'll be a 16. Uh, so I can easily nail everybody with that. There's no 60 feet. Like, everybody can be nailed, even the polar bear. Okay, your choice within. They can hear and understand you. Well, Robin does have advantage. It's a wisdom save, I assume. Yeah, wisdom save. What activity would she suggest? It'd be something that would... Not necessarily something that would have to take them all day. She just wants them to get out of their hair. Um, obviously, she can suggest, like, all right, you're going to give me... You know, you're going to give me the codicil. And then... And then she could just say, and say hello to the Frost Maiden or something. <laughs> you know? Um... If I wanted to still trigger, because the Frost Maiden's coming, that's the idea. Like, it really, the only important thing is that they hand over the Codicil and then the villains escape. Anything else, they don't really, I don't really care. Like, I could say, hey, go up to the roof, but honestly, 
at that point, the the frost main is just going to show up as soon as the villains escape. So it doesn't really matter. They're going to go up there and fuck around with that bird. I'd, I'd rather use the bird as a, a fun um, travel system for them. If if assuming they take up the frost maidens <laughs> offer, they can't refuse. Monks can choose an action to remove any mind effect. Monks can choose. Okay, that's really. Let's see. I guess you do still have. Even if you're under. I guess you can just do it while doing the thing that you were commanded to do. Suggestion's weird because it's not like you're dominated mind control wise, but you just are compelled to do a certain thing. <laughs> Uh, which ability is this that I'm looking at? Stillness of mind, maybe? That looks familiar. You can use your action to end one effect on yourself that is causing you to be charmed or frightened. Yep, you're right. Lust will forget, probably. <laughs> I've talked about this before, but um, the DM and the players both forget different abilities and items and things they have all the time, and hopefully at the end of the day it all balances itself out. But it's it's tricky, man. It's it's really it's funny how somebody will remember one thing they have like from you know, they haven't used in forever, and then other times something will just get forgotten for the rest of the campaign and never brought up again. Uh I would say the the player who's best at that is Raymond for sure. He's he's usually the mo the most the best player to give things to because he always goes through and like remembers and, and comes up with ways to use all of his shit. Everybody else has different degrees of forgetting about all their stuff, I think. And and I'm one of them. I will, you know, I, with all my different creatures and things that I use, I absolutely forget about things. A mass suggestion, I could just say hand over the codicil um, and yeah, just say hi to the Frost Maiden, which means they would just you know, stay, stay they, she could just say stay here and wait for the Frost Maiden Give me the codicil. Um, stay here quietly and wait for the Frost Maiden to come. Which is not directly them harming themselves. And then they and then the villains could just disappear. Now, she could try that, and then some people could make the save. Which would be really interesting, because I don't think there's a way... The only issue is if Valravin makes the save then he could cast Dispel Magic. Everybody else, I don't know if you can actually rest control back. You could still do something like, all right, we're going to go on initiative and I'm going to start fighting you guys, but as long as they don't harm the ones who are currently charmed, maybe at that point I do need to say, like, okay, the players need to go, you know, go upstairs and wait for the Frost Maiden or something just so that they're not, like, standing around. Because I think... Again, suggestion's weird. Like, does that mean they don't get to do anything except wait for the Frostmaiden? Or does that mean they can still engage in fighting the villains if the fight broke out and they're still waiting for the Frostmaiden? The DM hated my character. Oh no. That's not a good relationship. <laughs> it's because you had different ways of getting around things. I like monks. I think monks are a lot of fun. I like my short rest classes. A DC 16 there. 
I don't know. Do I need to change her CR then to like a 10? Will that fix it? In terms of uh, upping our proficiency bonus behind the scenes. I cast mass suggestion. What comes up? Let's... Party on whisper rolls. Excellent. Uh, it doesn't actually list the... Nope, still says 15. Shoot. Spell ability. What is your spell ability? Intelligence. Yeah, that's fine. I guess we just up your DC mod. That's true. Yeah, Stunning Strike. Stunning Strike is pretty crazy if if players try to use that. If they, which is lame, I think that's not how I would play a monk either. I mean, I, I definitely use it more often than what's what Celeste does, but I wouldn't want to spend all my key points doing that, even though it is devastatingly powerful. You'd think there would be some some limits on that for. The fact that people can abuse that, especially in higher levels. The fact that I think it just costs one key point each time, and you know, by higher levels, you've got like eight, nine, ten, eleven key points. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna use Sunny Strike fucking all the time to get these back on a short rest. <laughs> oh, here we go. Magic caster level. Let's turn that up. Let's turn you to like a 10. That do. Still says 15. Shoot. I thought that was going to fix it. Could the party defeat the Frost Maiden at the moment? Um, anything is possible. But. Well, anything's possible. <laughs> I would be pretty shocked. Um, I will probably up her stat block. Of, I think I think I actually already did that on Monday. Wasn't I doing that? I was giving her different legendary actions. Changed her ice flurry around. I gave her... I think I basically combined her first two forms together. Um, I love her ice stasis ability. I love she's got Cone of Cold. Uh, she can probably hurl two frost orbs. The thing is, it's all cold damage. And a lot of people are resistant. Frey is resistant, for example, to all of this. Um, so Frey alone would be problematic. Obviously, I will not have her show up alone, though. I'll have her with a bunch of minions. The players are hurting very badly. Like, they are getting low on spell slots, especially after the recent trial. Celeste just basically went down in the previous trial. She has 12 hit points right now. Well, Robin and Edmund are both at 50% hit points. Um, Thimbleweed's at about 70%, and Frey is still pretty dangerous. She's actually at about 70% as well, but that still gives her over 100 hit points. And she still has a rage and can be resistant, but it it's going to be pretty dangerous for them. And obviously, the Frost Maiden, you know, one reason I do is just give her infinity hit points for the purpose of this fight <laughs> between you and me. Um, but I could also have her, and I was even thinking if the players weren't so damaged, I would probably have a first wave fight come in, like an ice elemental and some snow golems appear first. Uh, and then the Frost Maiden shows up, like after a round or two of that. And the player's just like, holy shit. But I'm not even sure they would survive that well against that many foes. 
So we'll see how I'm feeling. I may still do that. I may still have these creatures appear. And maybe to be more interesting, you know, if the if shit goes down, like we cast mass suggestion, we'll say like two people make the save. Um again, if Alrava makes a save, that's a big deal because he can actually on his action, I believe, cast dispel magic. Although it's not a guarantee. It's a sixth level spell. It's not like he can instantly end it. He still has to um, you know, make a check to be able to end the mass suggestion. But that would help bring the rest of the party online. If they're not online, then you know, the party can try to do whatever they want to prevent her from getting, you know, maybe they have to do a little bit of a skirmish here. And then maybe even while the villains are still here, and again, they have no interest in killing the uh, the party, especially after they cast mass suggestion, because that would turn the spell off. They just want to try to get the codicil as quickly as they can. I'll give her like mage hand or something to snatch it. And then I could I could start spawning the villains around, which technically would be hostile to both parties. And then maybe around later have the Frost Maiden show up. Arl, yeah. Arl, as written, has three forms. The first form is really stupid, just a generic, like, brute. The second form is a lot more interesting, which is the one I was going to actually start with. Just because it does have some very cool abilities. Um, I love the Ice Stasis, I mentioned that before. And she can create and explode ice methods, which is pretty nice. Uh, does have legendary actions, legendary resistance. And then technically if you defeat her, then she goes into a third form. But I would just use the second form. I would scale the second form up a lot more. Maybe even like double her hit points or something. And I think it would be pretty devastating, especially if she comes with a bunch of powerful minions. But... This is not meant to be, just like the villains, not meant to be a full-ass, like, fight to the bitter end. Um, instead, she will actually stop... The, she will stop the fight herself if the players don't think to engage with her. But it will depend... You know, a lot of the story depends on if the villains are still here, if they've left. Like, how does all that work? So maybe you just watch the Frost Maiden just absolutely destroy the villains if they are managed to still be here. That could be a big deal. Um... You know what could fuck me up, interestingly, is Frey does have that little silence orb, so she could throw that to, like, try to silence everybody. Um, but then, it, it's a radius, so they'd still have to keep them in that area, but there there are things they can do to, like, really fuck them up. Calm emotions, depressed charm, ooh, that'd be a good one, yeah. That's true. See, a lot of things can happen, it's so, I'm so nervous, I will admit to you all, like, I am so nervous about what's gonna happen, and I'm going to try to do my best to, you know, write different scenes and come up with different means of having things happen and and tr and really looking forward to seeing what the players respond to. The biggest story choice they will have to make is basically whether to align themselves with these villains or whether to ultimately try and battle the villains and possibly try to align themselves with the Frost Maiden because those are basically your only two options here. Otherwise, you will die in Grimskala. So... Hopefully we can come up with a good story there. Um, and if we if we just focus on this stuff, and she can do that, Michael, basically with the with the ice stasis ability. Um, she places them in like a crystal gem size ice crystal. I wouldn't even make it gem size, I'd make it like a person size, like literally just like frozen carbonite thing. DC twenty one charisma save, almost nobody's making that without just a miracle. Robin, I guess, has a chance. And they take constant cold damage every turn. Um, you can free yourself if you, by repeating the save, or somebody else can damage it by doing just fire damage. It is a really, really cool thing, and she would definitely open with that.
Um, but yeah, I, I think if we just do that, if we just do the trials, then the codicil, and then play out this whole crazy scene, I think we'll actually get through all of this. Uh, it may take us a little bit of a longer session, but I think we can actually do that. And, and maybe I can end it on a on a crazy cliffhanger. We haven't quite resolved things, but it'll be basically resolved. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll end with like the villains teleporting away with the codicil. Frost Maiden shows up, then we have to end the session. It's like the craziest cliffhanger ever. It's just, it's only a week, so whatever. But we definitely probably won't get through it if somehow the players end up exploring, like you know, to the north and fighting the frost giant skeletons and doing that basically before opening the vault door, which I would let them do. The villains, you know, wouldn't have much say. To, they, they would try to encourage them, discourage them from doing that. But uh, as a DM, I'm like, yeah, there's content up there if you want to do it. Soundsorp has been used today. Oh, does it? Ha- has it been? I don't recall. I have to actually look that up. I, was it only once per day? That's a good thing, though. I'll have to look that up. I forgot about that. All right. Either way, I believe that will do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Planet Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coa, 1337, Kyle, Matthew, Big Nut, Greenlee, and John. And gold patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Preboy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy, Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fazlika, Tortoise, Scott, Stephanie, Ruffus, and Carolyn. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you all for D&D tomorrow night. And I will see uh, select platinum patrons for D&D tonight. Our next session of Empire of the Ghouls. Mm-hmm.